This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Leroy Butler, newly Hall of Famer, class of 22. It is a touchdown for Leroy Butler. Holy cow, and the fumble recovery. And the Packers go up 20 to nothing. And you listen to Ira and Clark on the iTest for Two podcast. As you may know, there's been a lot of talk recently about expanding the senior class for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's at one for a year right now. In fact, Ira and I were on a call two weeks ago with friend of the show and Hall of Fame president, Mr. Jim Porter, talking about just that. And the consensus among the Hall's board of selectors at that time, at least, seemed to be to increase it from one per year to at least two a year if not more. And Ira, I know you're a member of that senior committee. Could you tell our listeners why this is so important and why the discussion had to be held? The reason simply, Clark, is the list of people that haven't even had their case discussed is enormous. it's, um, It's huge. We're talking about 40, 50 people. Our good friend Rick Goslin's got, you know, a, a long list of people who were first ballot, um, you know, all decade players. At least get them discussed, Clark. It doesn't mean everybody's going to get in, but give them a fair hearing. And Clark, as far as I'm concerned, Jim Porter's been on the job for a short period of time. The man's batting a thousand, Clark. Absolutely. He's batting one thousand because he's got an open mind to what we want to do. Yep, and he's proven again and again that he's a man of his word in that respect. And Ira, I I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, that list that Rick Goslin had mentioned. We've had him on the show before. He said there are 80 or 90 persons within that senior pool who need to be discussed. And included in that 80 or 90 are 58 all-decade players, 53 of whom have never been discussed as a finalist. And when you're pulling out one a year, that's really unfair, grossly unfair. Absolutely. And Clark, one other thing that um, our listeners need to know is they've been playing this game since 1920, Clark, but the Hall did not form until 63. Right. So for people that say, why do you have such a big backlog? Didn't you guys get the job done in the 60s? Well, they haven't been around nearly as long as pro football has been around, Clark. That's right. And, and in that discussion that we had with Jim Porter, and I'm not talking about just you and me, the board of selectors two weeks ago, they want, and I mean, they, I, I mean the, the pro football hall of fame, we want, they want to keep the, the class number each year at eight. They're hoping to keep it at eight. They're not sold on that, but they'd like to keep it at eight. And the question is, how do you do it? And I would suggest our, you combine the contributors and coaches into one group simply because those two groups together don't have near 
the depth that the senior pool does. And that way you can get two seniors each year and one crit contributor slash coach each year too. And, and I think that would work. And I'm just wondering where you stand on that and what solution you might have. I'm behind you 100%. I like the idea of a coach slash contributor. You get one every year. And Clark, I dare say, within 10 years, you'll pretty much dry up the, uh, the qualified pool in that category. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I know that there's a March board meeting, I think it's March 22nd, that Jim Porter is talking about that he wants to at least address the board of directors at uh, Camp Nunn. And then there's an April meeting at which point a vote could happen. What do you think the likelihood of that is? I think we're going to get our two um, you know, senior candidates, and that's all I care about. What they want to do with the coach contributor, uh, I'm, I'm fine with as long as we get two senior guys. And I know our guest uh, is fully on board with that too, Clark. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and, and just to mention before we get to him, that's for – 2023 that could happen immediately in other words if they pass that at the april meeting that would happen immediately for the next class 2023 so uh let's get to our next guest since you mentioned him that's a familiar figure to all of us friend of the show historian john turney a pro football journal and john's a regular guest on the show he's on or would you say once every what two or three months whenever we need help with history or, I, or I want him on every other week clark yeah every, i do too <laughs> you need him for uh you need for tiki barber you want him to get it right another tiki barber <laughs> proposal anyway john um before we get into the senior class and again thanks for joining us you do as you do uh, often but before we get into the senior class your first impression of the class of 2022 we haven't asked you about it we've talked about but your first impression of the class of 2022 surprises and disappointments well i i liked it uh it was something that i had hoped for a blockers and tacklers class i thought all the players that were blockers and tacklers had better resumes for lack of a better term than the skill players of course, that doesn't mean the skill players won't get in, and I don't think it was because of just the logjam. I just think the blockers and tacklers deserved it this particular year. I was surprised that Sam Mills uh, made it, but, I, but I'm not disappointed. I just thought that uh, the voters would follow the queue a little bit more, but in this particular sense, they did in a greater sense in that they saved Sam Mills from going into the senior swamp which you have just talked about is almost impossible to get out of, especially with the, the one slot, which was taken away several years ago. John, bigger surprise, no first ballot Hall of Famer because DeMarcus Ware seemed to be that guy or four defensive players chosen to the class. I would say the bigger surprise was that DeMarcus Ware didn't get in because they, we had a recent comparable in Jason Taylor. And once that happened, he was a defensive end and he was kind of the fifth, he was the fifth defensive end to get in on the first ballot. And that kind of, in my opinion, lowered the bar because you used to be able to say the top four defensive ends, the Mount Rushmore of defensive ends by their first names, Gino, Deacon, Reggie, Bruce, and now Jason. So I thought once that bar was lowered, the new edge, the, the new edge defender up this year had qualifications pretty similar to Jason Taylor. So yes, that was a bigger surprise than the four defenders. I thought there was going to be four defenders. 
I just didn't think it was going to be particularly this for. John, I got a question about Sam Mills, and and it's a tough one, Sam. Uh, it's a tough one, John. Uh, look, we're never going to prove it, John. We're not going to poll the 49 selectors, but I'm going to speak for myself, John. I didn't vote for Sam Mills, and I thought a uh, a major reason that he got across the finish line, we'll never prove it, um, was to save him from the abyss uh, of the senior pool. So, John, I'm going to ask you directly, um, should that be a factor in, in that room? Uh, it, it doesn't always work. Just ask Clay Matthews, uh, ask Joe Jacoby. It doesn't always work, John. So, in your mind, it, should that be a factor uh, going through the minds of the selectors? Yeah, I don't think it should be. And you could add Everson Walls to that list. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's justifiable if a player has never been in the final 15 before. Sam Mills had had his shot several times. Jacoby had had his shot several times. Now we've got a player coming up, uh, Albert Lewis, who's never been in the final 15. He's never even been discussed. I don't know if he'll even make the final 25. He didn't this last particular year. I think he's made it a couple of times before. Would he be saved from the senior abyss just because of that? I don't think that should be the case, but I do think he should have a chance in the final 15. And if he's qualified, he should get in. That should be the standard. That should always be the standard, not any kind of esoteric uh, considerations. And, John, in terms of DeMarcus Ware, who, who's got an impressive resume, we can all agree on. John, the fact he didn't get in as a first-year eligible, nor did anyone else as a first-year eligible. John, in any way, do you draw a bigger takeaway from that in terms of maybe uh, it's an assessment or a recognition among the selectors that we've gone a little overboard in, in that respect? That would be my take. It doesn't mean I'm right, but I think it might rectify the situation that maybe Jason Taylor was a bit of a fluke and that the first ballot should be reserved for the Jim Browns, the Walter Paytons, the Peyton Mannings, the Lawrence Taylors, and not the DeMarcus Wares and not the Jason Taylors, not the borderline guys, not the guys that you walk away from the meeting and you think, well, maybe he's not a first ballot guy. If you have to think about it, is he really a first ballot player? We're speaking with historian John Turney of Pro Football Journal, who's right more times than he's wrong, especially on this program. And John, um, I want to go back to that expansion of the senior pool. I know you're, you're happy with the idea that we're going to get more than one. Hopefully we're going to get more than one. Do you have a better solution? or a more attractive solution than two per year? I mean, that seems to be where we're headed. Of course, that's up to the vote of the board of directors in April, but is there another solution that you would prefer? Well, obviously anything would be better. And I concur with your compliments to Jim Porter. And I think the former president of the Hall of Fame has been Wally Pipped pretty, pretty quickly. and 
this idea of two seniors is, is exactly what it needs to be returned to. Now, I also think there needs to be a little bit of a set aside for what I call super seniors. And there's not that many of those players. And I think it could be addressed in, in one of two ways. One, they could add a third senior maybe every other year. And it has to be somebody who played prior to the Hall's foundation, which was in 1973 or 1963, pardon me. And somebody who played their entire career before that maybe should get extra consideration. In lieu of that, if we don't want to mess it up too much and it gets too complicated, just have the two seniors that you're talking about alternate the contributor and the coach. But then very quickly have a 60th anniversary class of only players prior to 1963. And then we could get four, five, six, or eight, whatever they want to decide of the very most qualified uh, players that have been passed over. Guys that were not just one time all NFL or two times, guys that were four, five, and six time all NFL players that are just very clear choices. And I think you could consult the, the Pro Football Researchers Association and find out who they support the absolute most. And I think that could just clear everything up very quickly. Then the two senior spots could be used any way the seniors committee sees fit from then on forward. And they don't have to worry about going way back to the 1920s or 30s. That's a, that's a good idea. I think it's one that the uh, hall should consider. The other that I did mention was combining the coaches and contributors. As we know now, coaches have their own separate categories. So do contributors and so do seniors. And the reason I mentioned it, John, was for three persons in particular, it'd be Don Coriol, Clark Shaughnessy, and Bucko Kilroy, because if they're considered simply as a coach or a contributor, they're probably not getting in. Bucko maybe, but Don and, and Clark Shaughnessy, no. And, and the reason I say that, and, and Ira has been on that uh, coaches committee, he's been in the senior committee, and I'm on the contributor committee is I know where they stand on Don Coriel. He's not getting in because they talk about his playoff record and they talk about his senior bowls. And, and, and so he's just not getting in. They neglect the fact that he contributed so greatly to today's game that Mike Martz calls him the father of today's passing game, modern passing game. And I think that's true for what he did with tight ends and how he moved them and what he did with single backs. But anyway, there wouldn't be a Tony Gonzalez in the Pro Football Hall of Fame today if it weren't for Don Coriel. And that needs a lot of fleshing out, which I'm not going to do. And the th same thing with Clark Shaughnessy, modernized the modern T formation, brought it to the NFL, modernized the modern T. How do you not have the guy who modernized the T formation in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? And where's the NFL without that? And then Bucko Kilroy spent 64 years in the league. But of those 64, 13 was as a player. Well, he's not getting in as a, a senior. And then he was a front office executive. Well, you know, he's probably not getting in as that. And then he was a guy who um, contributed as a scout. And, and he helped with the combine, helped develop the combine. And yet he's probably not getting in on that either. But in total, in total, that, that 64 years should mean something. And, and yet he's always on the um, cutting room floor when we talk about contributor candidates. And I think if you combine those two and you say that, listen, Coaches don't have to be just simply coaches. They could be a guy who played too, such as a, a, a guy like Dick LeBeau, coach and a, um, a player. But with contributors, especially with guys who contributed to the game, Clark Shaughnessy with the T formation, Don Coriel with a passing game, it doesn't have to be limited to activities outside of coaching and players. And right now, 
That's the way it's defined in the bylaws of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Any contributions outside of playing and coaching. And I think it should be to include activities uh, with playing and coaching. So I guess that's a long way of saying, do you agree? Well, I would absolutely. And that in just the three you mentioned, and if, even if you did alternate contributors and coaches and include the contributors like you were talking about, just think about it in six years, all three of those could be in. Yeah. And that's not a long wake compared to never. So in, in, in that same period of time, you could get three coaches in that people would like to see in maybe a buddy Parker and two of the more modern guys that, that people might want to see uh, maybe a Dan Reeves, who's got a, a record comparable to Bud Grant and Marv Levy or, or others that they've been talking about. So there's room for everybody. If there's a little bit of, of I don't know, common sense, I don't want to criticize people too much, but I think over the past, Several years, there's been kind of a lack of common sense and something has smacked of an agenda going on. And it just feels a lot freer now as an outside observer. It feels like there's a breath of fresh air. I don't know if the rest of the committee feels that, but as an outsider, I sense that. John, uh, we've got a log jam uh, at wide receiver. It's not the first time we've seen it. Uh, 10 years ago, class of 2013. John, which happened to be Warren Sapp's class. I know it well. Uh, Chris Carter got in, and that was the first chip in the uh, log jam of the uh, wide receiver wall. John, here we are again. Uh, Tory Holt, Reggie Wayne, waiting their time. Here comes Andre Johnson. And you could even throw Devin Hester in, although if he gets in, it'll predominantly be as a returner. But he played wide receiver. And John Turney's world, who's the first brick to fall in this wide receiver lock jam? Who's going in first? Well, it, Andre Johnson made the final 10, did he not? Would yeah. that give him the, the edge? Uh, I don't know. He certainly is the most physically Im imposing. My question to the committee, to, to you guys who vote and, and gals who vote, is this a player personnel evaluation or is it an evaluation of what they accomplish? Because if it's a player personnel type of evaluation, Sam Mills would have never made it. it it's supposed to be what they did, not what they could do. Andre Johnson had terrific numbers, but he didn't have the kind of touchdown receptions that you would hope a guy like that would have. You would hope he would have close to a hundred in his career. And most of these guys are in the sixties, seventies and eighties. And when Steve Largen got a hundred, that seemed to set the standard. And now it's a lot more open of a passing game. And I'm seeing guys retire with less than a hundred. It just seems like a good round number that that's that none, none of these guys are reaching. If you were to ask me to predict, I would say Andre Johnson's probably going to leap the, leap the queue and, and has a good shot of making it next year just because that's the, the history of the final 10. People who make the final 10 often move up to the final five. If I were to order them based on my research and talking to scouts, it would probably be Wayne, Holt, and then Johnson. And then maybe an outsider, like uh, somebody who's not an outsider by not in the final 15, like a Heinz Ward or someone like that, before right. a Steve Smith even. 
You know what's interesting about Johnson, uh, John, uh, and it's 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 uh, it's questionable how much uh, of a factor you should weigh this in, but um, you know, John, the the quarterbacks that Johnson played with, and of course, you know, Reggie Wayne and, and Holt had no, you know, they had no control over who was throwing them the ball, and neither did Johnson. Um, should that weigh in? Uh, John, into this uh, totality of evaluation of Andre Johnson, the fact that he didn't have uh, a Peyton Manning or or a Joe Montana throwing him the ball? Well, certainly I think it should, but you've been asking me what my prediction is and how I would evaluate how they rank. And what my gut is telling me is if you have to go through all these consternations and you're evaluating wide receivers who were the second best on their team, like Holt, uh, and, and then Marvin Harrison was, most people feel like, better than Wayne. Right. It makes you wonder if we really need to be putting in the 40th best wide receiver, the 41st best wide receiver. That's how many wide receivers are in the hall, and we don't even have 20 defensive ends or 20 defensive tackles. We've got two or three inside linebackers. We don't have hardly any 4-3 outside linebackers. So that's where the dirt of players are. So I'm never going to advocate for wide receivers to get in. They've got enough people advocating and doing research for them and comparing numbers and blah, blah, blah. You're not going to get any love from me. I couldn't care less because they've got all the advantages. <laughs> John, one, John, one point I made in, in the meeting, uh, and I didn't get a lot of support. I, I don't know how Clark feels about it, but. John, I brought up the point that there, you know, we used to talk about safeties being underrepresented. Clark, there's a category not only underrepresented, it's never been represented. And I'm not sure if, if it's ever going to happen. And, and that isn't an assistant coach to break through because you got that category coach. Everybody, everybody is going to think head coach. They're not going to think assistant coach. They're not going to think Arnsbarger and Anna Finn um, and, and Wade Phillips. They're just not. Um, yeah, except Ira, as Joe Horgan pointed out on that call, assistant coaches are covered by coaches. They can be. They can they be. Can be. They can be. Uh, John, do, do you see a day when an assistant coach can break through? Well, in a sense, Dick LeBeau was kind of that guy because he certainly didn't get in because of his head coaching prowess he got in as a kind of a combination assistant coach and i don't know if you could ever convince that board of 49 people uh i can think of a couple of assistant coaches that would be would be worthy bud carson who came in and coached that steelers defense how could you do a better job than that he also introduced the, the what he called cover 22 he brought cover two to the nfl and cover 22 which is what everybody calls Tampa to now. Uh, Tony Dungy didn't, and Monty Kiffin didn't invent it. That was, that was an invention of Bud Carson. So that was an innovation that people forget about. And then he went on with the Eagles and, and other teams as well and had tremendous success. So I don't see it happening, at least now, until everybody gets their fill of getting their favorite coach in. And, and since we got a couple of the modern coaches in, uh, Jimmy Johnson and Bill Cower, maybe with those out of the way, it does open up some slots in six, eight, 10, 12 years for assistant coaches. Um, 
remains unseen. Uh, answer, I don't know. You know, John, one of the problems with that is when you get someone like a Bud Carson or a Dick LeBeau, they inevitably, if they're good coordinators and good assistant coaches, they get head coaching jobs, and they did. And then they were failed head coaches. And I say that sort of, uh, I guess, critically, but they didn't have great records as head coaches. That always will come up. And that's what knocks them down. And that's why a lot of these guys don't move forward. I, I want to get on something else that you mentioned earlier. And that was talking about pre-63 players. And I know you consulted the Pro Football Researchers Association on some of those guys recently. And I, I, I saw your list and they gave you a top four. It was clearly a top four and then it dropped off dramatically. If you can sort of relate that to our listeners and also who would your top four be of pre-63 players? Well, my top four would be the same as theirs. And it, what it was was just an informal poll that was on their website. I just said, if you could put any four in, and we didn't have tons of responses, but we had enough to make a decision, I thought. But the top four were Lobby Dilwig, who was on 100% of the ballots. Uh, Al Wistert was on uh, about 90%. Ox Emerson was on 90%. And about 85% was Vern Llewellyn. After that, it was just about 20% for four or five guys and then several guys that just had one. So to me, there, that's a consensus. That's the same four that were recommended oh, six, seven, eight years ago that had one more name on it. And that name was Duke Slater. And Duke Slater got in. So those are the four, to me, that are just outstanding, that really did just truly get left, left behind. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. These were guys that were five and four and six-time All-Pros. They won championships. Chris Willis, the great Chris Willis from NFL Films, has gone back and, and done de facto MVPs from that era. And Vern Llewellyn won, won some, and Dilwig was a candidate every year. And we, you guys would remember the arguments for Gene Hickerson, which was, you know, somebody had to be blocking for Jim Brown. Yeah. Well, the same applies to guys like Al Wistert. The, the NFL's leading rusher of all time when he retired was Steve Van Buren. Well, somebody had to be blocking for him. Why doesn't that argument apply for Al Wistert? Uh, the, the Lions in the 30s, one year they had seven or eight shutouts right in a row. Ox Emerson was playing both ways. He was on that uh, defensive line. He was also a guard on the offensive line when they rushed for 2,700 yards in a season. And that record was not broken until the 1972 Dolphins. So these are guys with complete resumes, not just partial resumes or he did this or he was part of the, the Portsmouth uh, the, the, the Pottsville championship controversy. He wasn't a historical figure. These were just darn great players. So those are the ones that, that I support. And I think that really should be involved in no matter what the senior new senior process is. Well, I'm glad to hear you mention them because Iris heard my uh, Al Wister comments and rants too many times to mention. In fact, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago when we were on the, call with the board of selectors, but I'm glad to hear you mention Vern Llewellyn as well, because people in and around the Packers tell me that he's probably the most likely or best suited Hall of Fame candidate who's still out there. And, and people don't know anything about him because he played back in the, the 20s and the 30s. 
Well, what's interesting about Llewellyn and Dilwig, I thought, is it might have been political the whole time. I can't remember which was which, but they were both ran for Wisconsin Congress or Senate. I don't remember which. One was a Republican. One was a Democrat. And I always wondered if that didn't cancel each of them out because it ticked off half the voters at the time. <laughs> and, and and this was before, poli- you know, in the early 60s. So this was probably before politics got as ugly as it is now. And then you have, you know, Al Wister, not only was he this great blocker, for Steve Van Buren, George Allen called him the first great pass rusher. And I took extra effort to watch him as a pass rusher. And he was very good. He used his hands. So in other words, he passes the eye test as well. So this is a guy that really is somebody who should be championed. John, I got one more for me. Thanks for your time. As always, we could have you on every week and uh, Clark and I would be very happy. Um, a quick look ahead, Mr. Turney, a quick look ahead. Um, and speaking of first year eligibles, uh, say what you want about DeMarcus Ware, but here comes Joe Thomas. Here he comes, John. Um, great player, terrible teams. First team all pro, perennial. Uh, played long enough. There's not any questions about a guy who played five years with Joe Thomas. And here comes Darrell Rivas, John. Got an island named after him. Played in a huge New York market. I think you'd agree with me for three, four, five years. The premier cover corner in the National Football League. Um, You know, didn't have a 12-year career of greatness. But he's going to be tough to deny. John, uh, what what are we looking at in terms of first-year eligibles? class of 2023 well i think joe thomas is a lock obviously anybody we could all be wrong on that i think he's going to be a lock i think darrell revis is not a lock though it could happen Uh, i think what will happen is people will see a lot of the the nuanced statistics which are available now that have not been available for before like uh defensive passer rating and you're going to find years where Durrell Rivas was as good as any and you're going to find years where he had over a hundred where people were completing passes on him he was giving up touchdowns so it may knock him down a little bit he's certainly going to be in the hall of fame and he's going to get in very very early I think DeMarcus Ware is going to get in next year I think one of the wide receivers is probably going to break through I mean as much as I would prefer the blockers and tacklers of course we're never going to hold out the wide receivers. It's just too much of a tidal wave. I think Rondy Barber has a very good chance because he's got a unique case. What he did was rare. And in those defensive passer ratings, he fared very well in the defense that he had to do. And playing in that slot, we've talked about it before, having to defend those three-way goes, either inside or outside or straight up the field. Like when you're when you're playing outside, You've got the sideline to help you. And Rondy didn't always have that outside help, if you will. So, and then you've got Zach Thomas, who kind of got passed over. I think the committee will probably uh, make up for that. And then I think there's, there might be a wild card next year. Uh, I'm hoping it's going to be Albert Lewis. I don't know that it will be, but uh, I'm going to sure talk the ear off of some of the, the voters. And it's I don't want it to be a last 
minute, hey, keep this guy out of the swamp type of campaign. I just want it to be, this guy should have been in years ago kind of campaign, if, if you can discern the difference. Well, John Turney, thanks so much for talking our ears off. Always enjoy it. And thanks for making Ira's Day by mentioning Rondé Barber as class of 23, 2023 <laughs> Hall of Fame inductee. You should have seen his eyes light up. It was like, oh, right. Great. <laughs> Terrific. Um, anyway, stay by the phone, John, because we're liable to call you very soon. We always do. But thanks so much for your time. Thanks, JT. Anytime. Thank you. You got it. That was historian John Turney of Pro Football Journal in Ira. I thought I had to pack you an ice there when you mentioned Rondé Barber. Jeez, what hey, are we going to do? With... Name up. I didn't bring his name <laughs> you up. You didn't. But what are we going to do, you know, when, when Rondé Barber's off the table and you have no one to present? That's 11 straight years of presenting a Tampa Bay standout. Uh, Joe Thomas, you know, Clark, uh, you know what I think about? And I agree with him. I think he's getting I think he deserves he it. But Clark, yep. you know who's like Joe Thomas and had to wait three years? Will Shields. Will yeah, Shields. No, he, yeah. Had, had Actually, wait three years. Had to wait. Maybe four. four. Yeah. Four. And Will Shields at the top of his game. I agree with you. <laughs> oh, they are pulling for Joe Thomas, too. Or else they're pulling for you. I already come up with an I was there. So I think this is your turn. You got something for us? You know, Clark, this is in honor of one of our candidates that made it through for a gold jacket. Uh, unfortunately, he's still not with us. But this is for Sam Mills, Clark. This is for Sam Mills. You might have been at this game, Clark, but I was. July 14th, 1985, a rainy night at the Meadowlands. The final game for the United States Football League championship game. The Baltimore Stars, not the Philadelphia Stars. They had been booted out of Veterans Stadium and we're now playing their home games at the University of Maryland, of which you're very familiar at College Park. Bird Stadium. Uh, against the Oakland Invaders of Bobby Hebert. Uh Baltimore won the game 28-24, second straight title for Jim Moore's team. Kelvin Bryant uh, was dominant that night. Clark, rainy night, 49,000 people, including Donald Trump in, in, in an owner's suite. Looking on, um, and Clark, uh, Sam Mills ended up making a big stop on a goal line stand, and he then followed Jim Mora to New Orleans, and the rest is history. Last game played in the USFL, Clark. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because it is the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which means the USFL career can be considered as well as the NFL, and he had a standout USFL career. But Ira, I'll be very honest with you. July 1985, I was in San Diego. I wasn't going to be in Baltimore as the USFL <laughs> game, okay? I wasn't there. Hey, uh, something that's going on, and I wanted to mention this quickly, NFL Scouting Combine. Everyone's there except for us, right, Ira? Everyone's there. We're here doing this. But it's going on in Indianapolis as it does every year at this time. Uh, Bruce Arians had something to say about Ian's favorite player, and that would be Tom Brady when he was asked, you know, what, what happens? If he wants to come back, but with another team, you're going to let him go? And he says, I'm not going to deal him. You're not going to deal him. Bad business. Then he was asked, what would it take? And Ian, <laughs> he said, five number one draft picks. So, A, that tells me uh, Tom Brady ain't coming back. B, no one's dealing for him. And three, how good this guy is. You're talking about five number ones for a soon-to-be 45-year-old player? 
Uh, he must be the best ever. I think he said it in jest. I'll turn it over to Ian. He, he but did. Ian, Ian, you got to remember what Clark just said 30 seconds ago. I know it's tough for you to absorb, but he ain't coming back, Ian. And you know what? The Bucks know it. He's not coming back. Yeah, I, I, he even said, I, I, you know, I believe uh, Arians mentioned that he shot it down weeks ago or whenever it first popped up. I mean, a lot of this is a lot of media diving into the in between the lines and trying to figure right. out things. Look, I hope by some miracle he decides or he drives uh, Giselle crazy enough that she's just going to be like, look, go play football. That's what I'm holding out hope for. But the reality of it is I've 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 accepted the fact that he's moving on, although him playing um, <laughs> him playing a year in San Francisco would be pretty, pretty, pretty nice. I'm not going to lie. I, I hope he doesn't move on and that he joins the eye test for three. OK, guys. Final thoughts, Ira. Well, everybody's talking about these quarterbacks, the Rodgers, the Wilsons, uh, the Watsons. Clark, if you if you listen closely to what a lot of guys said yesterday, they're not going to be available. They're not going to be available because the point is, why would a team give up on an elite quarterback when they don't have anything to fall back on? In the case of Green Bay, you might say, oh, they got Jordan Love. Well, I'm not sure they're ready to go that route. Clark. I'm not sure. <laughs> Certainly Seattle. Seattle doesn't have any options beyond Wilson, Clark. Uh, so these guys are not going to be available. And I'm not looking for a. I'm not looking for a lot of trades involving quarterbacks. I'm not, yeah, not. no, I, I'm not either. And I think it just simply is off-season media talk. Give us something to talk about when we're waiting for baseball to start, which I have no idea when that's going to happen. <laughs> um, hey, um, mine is, I, I was in San Diego last week, as you guys know, and um, had a great time there. But last Friday, I actually didn't because I got the news of the passing of former running back Lionel Little Train James. I covered him in, in 1984 as a rookie and covered him through his career there. Uh, he lasted five years there. It was a tremendous back, uh, outstanding player, set a league record in 85 with over 2,500 all-purpose yards. But you know what, Ira? He was a better individual than he was uh, a running back. He was kind. He was honest, always thoughtful, always smiling. And when I contacted Dan Fouts that night, he said he was a joy to be around. And, and that's how I remember him. Very, very sad to hear the passing of Lionel James gone too soon. You know, Clark, uh, Clark may, maybe in the coming weeks we can get people to talk about uh, James and Charlie Taylor. And yeah, Charlie, Charlie Taylor, Taylor, too. That's right. I, I, I didn't cover Charlie, but I ran into him a couple of times. Great guy. But uh, Lionel was just, he, he was priceless. I, I, I love being around him. That's going to do it, Ira. Um, if you can, tell people where they can find you on Twitter. At iKaufman76, Clark. Ian, how about you? That would be uh, Tom Brady for no. It's actually at <laughs> iglen31, and I'm going to be at at Clark Judge Tof. And remember, if you don't find us there, you can always find us here at where Ira. The eye test for two, Mister Judge. The eye for two. Yeah, thanks for listening, and see you next week for I think in our hundredth podcast. Is that correct? Two weeks. Okay. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. So it'll be the eye test for two weeks. Anyway, hope to see you then.